When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Namaste, yogis. This is Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. Today's guest is an absolutely brilliant being of mindful compassion. Joni Pollard is the co-founder and executive director of the world-renowned One Giant Mind Meditation app. He is an internationally recognized meditation teacher who has dedicated his life to sharing the knowledge gained from a select group of living masters. Joni's dedication to preserving the wisdom of meditation through his iPhone app and worldwide lectures allows these great teachings to resonate throughout time. Today, Joni Pollard shares three key tips to full empowerment through meditation. And so the, t- the technique of meditation that I primarily teach is a, a profound resting technique that enables the nervous system to recover very, very quickly from, from the impressions of the past and become a clear conduit, as you said, of this flow of consciousness that is perpetually flowing through all things, animate and inanimate. And we are able to clearly interpret the function of our individuality Mm. and be creative expressions of nature's intelligence. Learn to do instead of try. As Joni reveals how meditation allows our intentions to fly on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. It brings me great honor and joy to be sitting across from a great amazing man by the name of Joni, who happens to be a meditation guide from Australia. And I actually encountered him through a friend of mine, a great friend of mine, Josh, who, Josh Blau, who's an amazing yogi, really sweet guy. And he came to the States and stayed with my good friend, Dean, who's also our podcast editor. And was like, man, we got to do some meditation. It's like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's let's go to the park and do some meditation. You know, how do you usually do your meditation? He's like, oh, well, I've got this awesome app and I think we should just all listen to it. I was like, 
let's do it then. So he whips out his phone. We're in the park, beautiful, quiet morning. And we just listen to this beautiful voice on this application, basically leading us through a guided meditation. And lo and behold, he stands before me right now, and it's Joni. So it brings me great honor to have you here on the Yoga Revealed podcast this morning. Thanks, mate. It's great to be here. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And that voice, man, that <laughs> voice. Did you do like like voice lessons or anything or it just comes natural, huh? I guess it, yeah, it just comes naturally. That's beautiful. Yeah. So one of the ways that I like to introduce my guests is to start by them revealing their past, where they come from, and kind of just their their journey growing up and how you became who you are today. Okay. Sure. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> you were a young embryo in your mother's belly. Yeah. <laughs> let me out. Let me out. <laughs> I just want to teach people to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I, my, my first memories of meditation were around the age of seven, mm. at the time when my parents were uh, separating. Mm. And it was a very traumatic experience because I had a real attachment to the, the idea of my mother and father being together. And um, I found myself overwhelmed by anxiety or the uncertainty of the future, mm. you know, as any young person can attest to it having a family unit broken up is quite a traumatic thing. And I found myself at night finding it very difficult to fall asleep at night. And um, what I discovered, cutting a long story, a very long story, very short, uh, a means by which I was able to disassociate myself from the physical sensations that we refer to as anxiety and worry and sadness and almost observe them and in the process of observation, through coordinating my breath and attention, I noticed like clouds dissipating, um, the sensations would dissolve mm -hmm. and I'd fall into a nice deep sleep. But I'd wake up in the morning and, you know, immediately I'd think about what was the reality of what was going on and bang, the, the sensations would come again. And anyway, over many years of sort of spontaneously doing this without really conceptualizing it, calling it anything. It was kind of just a very natural thing that um, I was doing. It became increasingly more sophisticated that wasn't sort of confined to my experience with my eyes closed. I found myself doing it with my eyes open in situations where I was finding myself being triggered, you know, either with anger or anxiety or whatever it was mm -hmm. and I found I had a capacity to sort of move into this witnessing state and and dissolve it yeah as I went into my sort of later teens these the experiences that I was that I was having as a result of um, practicing these these sort of orientations of awareness if you mm -hmm. like um, caused quite significant experiences in consciousness to occur ones that were very baffling and verging on disturbing because mm -hmm. they they were so far outside of the realm of what i perceive reality to be um that i i thought i was breaking something in nature wow so, <laughs> and can you give me an example of one of these experiences yeah or? yeah sort of having uh, the ability to perceive the the mechanics of of physical reality um 
you know, looking at a thing and being able to peer into it and understand its, you know, biophysical um, and energetic structure and um, interact with it on that level mm. and observe the influence that my attention had on things. And it, it, was, it was very confrontational because I didn't have any language around it. Mm. And it was very confusing because why was I having this experience and why is nobody else talking about this and, and what does it mean that I'm having this experience? And, you know, it, it was very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and as a result, I, <clears throat> it started a, a journey of inquiry and uh, Discovery. I, I went on a, you know, fortunately I walked past a, some hippie crystal shop one day. <laughs> I was a pro rollerblader at the time. So you're a pro rollerblader growing up in Australia? Australia, yeah. Nice. <clears throat> like what part? Uh, Sydney. Okay, cool. So yeah. you're like in the city, in the heat of it all. Yeah. And when you say like you have these experiences of looking at matter and being able to understand the makeup and mm. really being able to become the observer and mm. then realizing that your observation was also a variable to the happenings of this matter. Mm. What were you looking at? What were you seeing? Was it like a plant or was it like a bug anything. or an ocean, anything, a wave? Anything I put my attention on. Mm. I was gaining insight and um, I half the, and I wasn't inquiring. <laughs> And, you know, particularly it was the, the, the thing that was most confronting to me was, um, you know, putting my attention on somebody else mm. and getting insight about what it is they were experiencing that I didn't I wasn't inquiring about. And it became overwhelming. It was a burden to know what I was understanding about um, people that I was putting my attention on and didn't know how to process it. Yeah. The, re the responsibility of having this 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 insight uh, was was intense for me at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I fumbled with the ability, you, mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, asserted certain kind of positions <laughs> in my interactions with people to try and exercise it deliberately and be helpful and whatever, and often <laughs> failing miserably. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a sequence in which we, you know, we engage and interact with people. This is what I've subsequently learnt from great masters um, uh, that I, I had no, I had no knowledge of at the time, and so I, I sought, see, I went seeking a teacher. So as I was saying, I walked past this, this crystal store, <laughs> and there was a book in the front window that had a picture of um, an illustration, you know, the classic illustration of someone sitting in lotus, lotus position with all the chakras, you know, enlightened, in, in, fully, you know, fully awake and, you know, yeah. um, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's what I, you know, I know that. You've been visualizing <laughs> that. that. Well, experiencing it, you know, it's just experiencing it's it. Opening these, up. These, 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 these energy centers, oh, it's a thing. And so I, you know, I, opened up the book and I flicked through it and started reading it and became really concerned because it was saying, you know, that after, you know, 10 years of certain practices, you'll have this kind of experience. And it's like, well, hang on a second. You know, I had that last week and I haven't mm -hmm. done any of this. 
I've broken something. I've somehow hacked the system, and you've broken through. I, you well, took the I, magic I, well, pill. Yeah, well, I, you know, but I thought I'd done something wrong. I had anxiety ah. around it. I was like, something's not right. It, it, the The awakening process was very traumatic because well, not traumatic, but it wasn't easy because I had nothing around me to commu- to 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 kind Give of you set, perspective, any perspective whatsoever. Wow. And so I was making it all up. I was just kind of you know trying to. There was no bigger picture context that I had mm. about the nature of the universe. I had a deep, natural um, sense of God in a very intangible, non-religious way. That's, that was always there as a child. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes a lot more sense later on down the track in this story. Um, but uh, anyway, at the, at the back of this book, there was a picture of this Indian man with a big beard wearing an orange robe and some beads. And I'm like, India? Is that where this stuff goes down? Is that where this knowledge is? <laughs> and so um, I, I remember buying the book and I, I read through it and it, it, it just confused me more actually mm. because nothing of what it said correlated with the sequence of the experience that I was having yeah. and actually it just made me a little bit more concerned. And So anyway, I, I, I didn't read the book anymore. And a very short period of time after that, I, I was introduced to this lovely couple who were elderly actually, and they'd been going to India for years and years and years, mm. and they had a guru over there. And I was always a little bit kind of like guru, you know. Or, How did you get introduced to this couple? Was it something that? Oh, uh, serendipitous. Really? Thing. Oh yeah, yep. Just totally. like a friend of a friend, friend like, yep. hey, yep. yep. Wow. I was talking to some people, older people. Like I was, I was on the hunt, you know. I was yeah. looking, you know, do you know anything about this thing? And and everybody I described my experience to were like, uh, well, yeah, well, uh, we don't know what you're talking, talking about. about. You should go to church. <laughs> yeah, go to church yeah. boy. <laughs> well, not so much that. It's that you know they were like, we've heard of these things. You know, mm. perhaps you should talk to this person. Perhaps you should talk to this person. So they I were think helping I, you out. And so I think I, I think I, I was introduced in that context. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I, you know, I met these people, and they, they had a, a guru in India. They're like, you know, you should go over there and. Um, perhaps you'll get some insights about what's going on. And I was like, mm, okay, I'll think about it. Anyway, I stayed at their place that night, and that night their guru came to me in, in my dream and said, come. <laughs> wow. So I said, all right. Who is their guru? Satya Sai Baba. Mm-hmm. He is a um, uh, <clears throat> controversial um, saint of, uh, of India. He's no longer in his body. He mm-hmm. dropped his body probably 10 years ago now. Yeah, I've heard Ram Das speak of him. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> my experience of him was that he was absolutely divine and enlightened. Um, however, there's there's a lot of controversy around him, as there is a lot around most of the sages in exactly. India. Exactly. Um, and I tend not to buy into that. I I take everybody for for face value. Yeah. Um, and my experience of him was was profound. Um, and you know he he created an introduction for me, and. Um, made it clear that I wa- he w- he wasn't my guru, um, but that you know he was going to incubate my sort of early early phase of this process and mm-hmm. created some concept and language around what I was experiencing, and that then subsequently led into this ma- magnificent romance with India, and being able to learn with some of the greatest masters of our time. So at the time when you went to India for the first time. Were you studying anything in school, or was it just kind of like I was at I'm, the ashram for for you know I think the first time I went was four weeks. Wow! And I sat and I meditated, and um, you know he would come in dreams. He would you know 
give me little messages at darshan where you sit and he comes around mm-hmm. and whatever and it was all it was all minimal very very minimal interaction it was all sort of transference as a principle of transference enlightened masters yeah. can transfer knowledge it's like meiosis yes. being around something that's light will mm. make you light yeah exactly and they do this very deliberately if there's an open receptacle they just pour it in mm. and i was very open and so um, that was taken advantage of. And as a result, you know, I, I went through very profound, rapid transformations. But in, these, in the early stages, it was, it was largely to do with, you know, purifying, you know, preparing me. And mm. that went on for a long time. Mm. You know, the, what the, type of preparation? Was it yoga asana? Was yeah, it there's, there's more a so? bit, There was asana, there was pranayama. Mm-hmm. There was um, long bouts of meditation, um, you know, I, I did fasting. I, did, I man, I did everything. I exp- anything that was available to me, I explored and experimented with it, mm-hmm. and all of it played a, a really significant role. No one thing, you know, like yoga, it's an eight eightfold system. Mm-hmm. You know, I I applied all all aspects that were available to me, um, to to sort of. Uh, to, to, to purify the nervous system mm. and um, you know in that process uh, I, was, I, was, I was very curious um, and exploratory in my process and I explored different traditions different lineages um, and studied you know to understand um, the ways and means by which we can unfold consciousness deliberately and it was it was a burning, burning fire in me uh, throughout my whole twenties, and uh, I still hadn't found an individual by whom I would identify with as my teacher, as my guru. Mm. So meet, there was no one who you fully felt like attracted to or drawn to at all. Yeah, that well, that, there were questions that I needed answered that hadn't been answered couldn't yet. couldn't be answered in the way that would correlate directly with what i was experiencing mm. you know i'd you know i'd hear masterful exponents of yoga philosophy or vedic philosophy but it, it wasn't it didn't appear that those individuals were embodied in a way that could really give insight directly to the experience that i was having mm. and give me instruction about how to correlate you know different aspects of my my perspe- my perception or my perspective of reality there were some conundrums that i wasn't able to resolve and what i was noticing it was that there was two fundamental interpretations of these these ancient w- wisdom teachings one was from the perspective of the reclusive monastic that approaches life from the perspective of all there is is to become enlightened mm. all they want is moksha yeah. and they will abandon all worldly desire and, and renounce everything <laughs> yeah. and not eat for you know however yeah. many days and just completely neglect the body yeah. to reach this sense of moksha yeah and then and so there is a way of interpreting all of the teachings um, through that filter through that lens and then there is the householder perspective which is about integration um, which I, I was seeking, but I hadn't met a teacher who was a fully integrated householder. Mm. Most of the teachers and the gurus that were available, um, that were willing to expound knowledge, were monastic themselves. And they swung between the, 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 the yogic 
monastic perspective and the householder perspective. And um, I found it to be quite confusing and um, not terribly effective <laughs> for integration because uh, I wasn't interested in just philosophy. I wasn't interested in just understanding principles on the level of the intellect. I wanted and was desperately needing knowledge that I could apply to reconcile experience, to liberate me. I was seeking liberation. And so, um, fortunately, in my late 20s, I, I encountered a great uh, man um, whom, <laughs> ironically, was living in Australia. Wow. For, uh, uh, for 22 years, who studied under what I, I recognize as one of the great masters of modern time. Which is who? Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was his master. Mm. And my teacher's name is Tom Knowles, who is also referred to as Maharishi Vyasananda. Mm. And Maha means great. Rishi is a seer. Mm. Or Maharishi is a, a great knower of reality. Vyasa was the uh, author of the Vedas. Mm. Ananda, as you know, is bliss, the blissful exponent of the Ved. A great seer who is a blissful exponent of the Ved. That is the title of my teacher, and that's exactly what he is. Wow. And um, I have had the good fortune, as many others have, to be able to sit with him and learn from him and to contextualize in a very whole, whole system that pertains to our worldly life, where we have desires to be in the world, to contribute to society. We have a desire to elevate and to creatively interact and engage and celebrate our humanity. Um, his perspective, as he learned from his master, um, who had learned from his master, who had learned from his master, mm -hmm. in a beautiful lineage known as the uh, Shankaracharya lineage, or the Adi Shankara lineage. That's mm -hmm. um, one of the, the sort of the spine traditions out of the Vedic yeah. tradition. Very, very deep lineage of timeless wisdom. Yes. And uh, he was he was able to expound a, a, and is expounding and taught us to embody a worldview um, that is all inclusive. It's a unifying system that doesn't recognize the necessity for excluding any aspect of our human experience in order to be total and complete in this moment. Mm. There's no exclusion, actually. It's the opposite. It's all-inclusiveness, the simultaneity of apparent paradoxes coexisting as one whole system. And that is the, the experience that we're after. How may I orientate my awareness to transcend my prejudice against other in order to recognize the underlying nature of the experience, which is oneness, unity? How may I position myself so that I may have the direct experience of that. And so this beautiful tradition outlines uh, techniques and processes by which we can cultivate the nervous system and our brains and then give rise to an experience within consciousness to have the direct experience of this, not through intellectual conjecture, not thinking ourselves into states of consciousness, but actually creating the conditions for the mind to go there and have the experience. Mm -hmm. And this is what this beautiful tradition lay, lays out for us, is sequences and systems by which we can create the perfect conditions for consciousness to have the direct contact with self. Mm. And then from there, reflect and know, rather than 
try and understand something conceptually, philosophically, without and then, actually feeling it yourself or, or, or experiencing it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, only on the level of the intellect, it makes it very difficult because the intellect is a is an interface. The intellect is a is a tool of consciousness. It's not the source of any wisdom. It's a chronicling, organizing, discerning and discriminating function of consciousness. And one of the the biggest obstructions from humanity experiencing their true nature is the hyper-identification with the intellect as the source of knowledge. And um, so when we're able to transcend the, the mode by which we are experiencing reality, which is generally through an intellectualized um, filter, mm-hmm. we are able to uh, become a witness of the intellect and the function of the intellect and recognize its, its role in the experience of awareness mm-hmm. of reality. And when we create that context, then we can more successfully gain access to ourselves. But quite often the, the barrier of entry to experiencing ourselves is the thinking process itself. Yeah. Thinking is highly overrated <laughs> and, uh, and a, huge, a huge obstruction. It's a wonderful tool to have at will. But when we are in bondage to an involuntary stream of thinking, mm-hmm. generally of content that is not of our liking, then it plays a huge role in diminishing our self-confidence and our capacity to meaningly, meaningfully self-interact. Mm-hmm. And so first and foremost, at a, as a starting point, at least from the perspective of this tradition, what we want to do is establish the capacity to make contact with ourself. Only then can we have a platform for contextualizing the fluctuations of thought and feeling and sensation in some coherent way so to make sense of it mm-hmm. and interact with it to transform it mm, if so we're, if does I, that make sense that makes perfect sense but i want to slow it down just because i'm sure that there's some listeners out there that are <laughs> completely filled with all of these words and all of this contextual visualization of what's happening in the mind and the thoughts are racing right now mm-hmm. i'm sure so I want to kind of reiterate what you were saying in the sense of we have these thoughts and we're constantly thinking, but now through the meditation, through understanding the brain, we can then control the thoughts and then bring forth a higher sense of consciousness. Correct. And so we're less controlling thoughts. We're accessing the source of thought. Mm. And what we're doing is we are transforming the quality of thinking mm. thinking itself isn't is not a problem thoughts it's thoughts are a wonderful natural process as are waves on the surface of an ocean they rise and they fall and they're beautiful mm-hmm. and they have little impact on the ocean knowing itself the ocean doesn't freak out when it's a big stormy day do you know what i mean yep And so what we want to do is establish ourselves as an ocean and become aware of thoughts as a a fluctuating surface layer phenomenon. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. And so it's not so much the fact that we're thinking all the time. It's the quality of thoughts that we have Mm. and what those thoughts are. 
And so when we, when we meditate using certain techniques, we gain access to the source of thought and we are able to experience consciousness where what flows through the mind is a coherent, creative, spontaneous expression of the source of the self. And so what's flowing through the mind is this beautiful fountain of coherent, powerful insight that is in direct response to whatever attention is focused on. So if I'm putting my attention on you and my heart is open to you and I'm established in myself and I'm quiet in that, what's going to emerge insight about you mm-hmm. beautiful coherent creative thoughts filled with the desire to want to interact with you in some sort of creative way mm. now that those thoughts are beautiful and enjoyable they're they're like nectar whereas if i'm disconnected from myself and i'm hyper identified with my thinking process which is generally structured in a state of defensiveness mm-hmm to defend a wounded sense of self, an uncertain, fearful, untrusting sense of self, then my relationship to you is going to be one process through a whole bunch of filters of prejudice and desperation. Yeah. What can this guy give me? What's he going to do for me? Mm-hmm. How, can I, yeah. how can I get what I need from this guy? Or do I need to be defensive do I need to be protective? Who is he? What's he trying to get from me? Yep. Am I willing to kind of enter into some sort of exchange? Mm-hmm. And this is generally how we interact with strangers. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah? it's, yeah, very frontal cortex, very like what we would call reptilian brain in the yeah. sense of these are, you know, fight or flight. Exactly. That's what choose right now, yeah. make a decision. Mm. And most of the time, those two options are not our truest intention from the heart. Yes. Which is the, what I would call like the intuitive, connective love mm-hmm. that we can inevitably share with one another if we get past that prefrontal cortex. Yeah. So what you just described there from, from the Vedic worldview is the source of suffering. Mm. That polarizing of the self, the splintering of the self. We have this deep knowing that we, are, we have a nature of love and compassion and creativity, adaptability, self-awareness, all of these wonderful things filled with sense of purpose, desire to serve. This is our nature. And then we have this other aspect of our self that we're experiencing that primarily plays itself out in the realm of the mind governed by an intellect that is un, you know, has been programmed to not trust. And so we've got this, this tear in ourselves. And as a result, we, we feel conflicted and we're yearning. We're yearning for, to know ourselves. We're yearning to, to love and be loved and to interact with each other in meaningful ways. But we feel incapable mm. socially, culturally, and also just practically as individuals. I feel incapable of successfully interacting with myself because I'm torn. How can I love myself? when I feel so ashamed of this, that, and the other, and I feel so guilty about this, and I feel so hurt by this and so disappointed by this, how do I resolve these things that just seem to be permanent features of myself? How do I eradicate this, these, these scars, these wounds? 
they're called samskaras in yeah. in the Vedic tradition. It's where we get the word scar from. Mm-hmm. And how do I heal these these wounds? And so traditionally, this is what the yogic practices are all about, yeah. is how to purify the nervous system, prepare the self for the direct experience of the self and stabilize the self, unsplintered by the impressions of the past. And so this is the context in which I teach meditation from a spiritual standpoint. Um, which I think is absolutely beautiful because mm. when it comes down to it, what we're looking to get more in tune with is our spirit mm. and therefore be consciously at one with all spirit. Yeah, exactly. Because ultimately our spirit is the, the one and total spirit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I was listening to um, a Vedanta talk by Swami Vivekananda this mm-hmm. morning. Beautiful. And I, I absolutely adore Swami Vivekananda. Mm. He's like, definitely one of i would say my spiritual teachers Mm. although he's long past and his teachings are very renowned in my practice Mm. um but he said oftentimes um, we think of ourselves as kind of like a a a conduit of light you know and you have say a hundred buckets out in the sun each one of those buckets will have an individual reflection of the sun and how clear that water is, is how clear the sun will be in that bucket of yeah. water. Mm. And so it just goes to show, it's like, you know, bringing us back to these practices. Mm. You know, it's the whole eight limbs of yoga mm. that brings us to that clear clarity of being able to channel and be a clear vessel for that sun, that, that life. Light. That Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Well, so I look at the nervous system as the bucket of water. You know, the nervous system is that which reflects the light of consciousness. Mm. And um, and so I think the imperative in this day and age is understanding how to engage the nervous system pr- prospectively so that we can cause and trigger that recovery process to happen. And recovery is totally natural, by the way. Mm. You know, we've got this immense intelligence governed by the immune function, that really all that's required is to create the conditions for the immune system to be bolstered, be reinforced, supported, so that it can do what it needs to do. It can get to work. And the fight or flight response, you know, existing in the uh, sympathetic nervous system as opposed to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and repair state, when we're in the para, in the sympathetic nervous system, we're in that fight or flight state that we talked about. Um, the immune function is compromised, so our ability to um, gain access to our inner reality uh, by virtue of having access to the the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for coherent introspection, mm. when that's offline, it's very difficult for us to turn our attention inward and reflect. So. I mean, the, 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 the most ancient perspective on awakening is when there is hyperstimulation like we're experiencing is a very deep rest. Yeah. And, and when we're able to rest, we're creating the, the conditions for the nervous system to do what it needs to do. Mm. And what it does is it repairs the nervous system. Yeah. And we recover really, really quickly. And so the, t- the technique of meditation that I primarily teach is a, a profound resting technique that enables the nervous system to recover very, very quickly from, from the impressions of the past and become a clear conduit, as you said, of this 
flow of consciousness that is perpetually flowing through all things, animate and inanimate. And we are able to clearly interpret the function of our individuality mm. and be creative expressions of nature's intelligence. Wow. That... <laughs> That was so, it like put a tingle down my spine. <laughs> Seriously, because a creative expression of nature's intelligence. Yes. That I feel is exactly what each and every individual is, mm. whether it be the most beautiful orchid you could see in, you know, the mountains of Kauai mm. or the most gorgeous human being you could meet. Mm. And that's your true loved one. You mm. know, it's like being able to truly witness the beauty and essence of nature. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to touch on more of how your application developed and how you okay. decided to share this now with the world because it's so beautiful um, to see someone who's actually developed something from these ancient amazing scriptures and writings and practices and now brought it to the future of mm. having it completely ready and available on your iPhone. I mean, yeah. that's what we're all about these days is really bringing the yoga to the modern day yogi. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's been a very interesting process for me. Um, sort of uh, synthesizing some of this knowledge into some sort of modern context. Um the reality is that, you know, there is a reason why these traditions were oral traditions and knowledge was always passed from master to student. It's because there's nothing greater than sitting in front of a teacher and experiencing their consciousness. Words are just words. There is an old saying, the medium is more important than the message. Mm. The embodiment of the knowledge is more important than the knowledge. A student learns from their master by watching them be expressive of the knowledge. How is it they've embodied it? How is it that they're living it? So um, with that understanding, it was always a little bit of a challenge as to the how, how taking the, some of this knowledge and putting it into a, a smartphone app might, how it might affect or influence individuals. Um, and so the whole process has been a bit of an experiment. So we started an organization called One Giant Mind. Our mission is to, to expose as many people to meditation as possible. And the best way to, that we thought that we could do that is by creating a smartphone app. It's not a terribly original idea. There's a, there's a thousand meditation apps out there. But what makes us different is that we've created a, we're actually a course. It's not like, you know, here's a guided meditation and we'll take you to your happy place. <laughs> um, but we won't tell you how, how, how we did it. <laughs> um, this is a 12-step course that actually instructs you of how to become self-sufficient in a process of triggering the relaxation response. Wow. Actually so causing... giving people the tools that they yes. need so that one day they don't even need the app. Yes. Oh, that's exactly. beautiful. Yeah. So, um, otherwise, what's the point? Um I have a private practice. I teach Vedic meditation. What's in the app is uh, not Vedic meditation. It's a derivative of it. It's like an entry level sort of. Here's a taste of it. Mm. Um, so we, you know, we spend a lot of time developing this thing, 
Um, we had a version in the market for 18 months and we just observed and observed and observed how people were interacting with it, how they learned from it, the good experiences, the bad experiences, all of that kind of stuff. And then we took all of that knowledge. We, we did a study with the university and a big mental health organization in Australia wow. and collated a lot of data about everything that everyone experienced around it. We took that data and we created the, the second version, which is something we're very proud of. It's a, it's a very elegant piece of technology that is extremely effective. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, what, what walk of life, whether you're interested in you know, uh, the unfoldment of your own consciousness or not. If you're seeking to have a, a simple mental process that alleviates the impact of stress and fatigue on a day-to-day -day basis and creates greater creative dynamism in your, in your awareness, then this is a really fantastic tool. It's very, very effective. And so we created a 12-step program and then a 30-day challenge to help you make it a daily habit. Nice. And the app is free. You know, it's we're, we're a charity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we've got a 501c3 here in California and we've, we're also established in Australia. And, um, yeah, the, it's, it's, uh, it's just a you know, really simple offering. You know, and, and it's an experiment. Let's just see what happens. Let's see what, and it's, you know, it's, it's chugging along really nicely. Um, you know, we get about a thousand downloads a week. Nice. And, but these are, this is, you know, it's not just a download. People are, are downloading it because we don't we do any marketing around it. Mm -hmm. So this is a, an app that somebody is downloading because someone has said, download this app. I'm using it. It's mm -hmm. changing my life. Yeah. And so they do it. And and we the, the feedback we're getting is extraordinary mm. from all around the world. It's so heartening. Mm. Um, and what it does is it it plants seeds. It makes them very very curious to want to, you know, come and learn with the teacher and start a process of consciously, you know, engaging in a system or a, a deliberate process mm. and of creating that transformation. Yes, this is like the the seed that's planted, and you've got the the bit of you know, nourishment and the sunlight. And it's like, yeah, if you're ready for a full watering, you know, really come over here yes. and learn. Yeah. So are you teaching workshops around the world or that's why you're here actually, right? You're teaching a four day course. Yes. So, um, uh, depending on when this podcast goes live, I'd actually like you to send it live in July because I'm launching my whole new platform. Definitely. I'm delivering all my, we'll make my that teachings. Happen. So I'll talk in context to us if that's already happened. Totally. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm in LA, uh, teaching. I teach a, a, a like a private course, um, uh, which will eventually become a, a, a sort of a, an open public offering, um, as a part of my new venture, which is my website, johnnypollard.com that, uh, offers really wonderful resources hmm. um, through a podcast, um, video content that is pertaining to everything to do with what you're experiencing. If you're someone who's deliberately approaching your own state of consciousness mm -hmm. with the intention of expanding into your full potential. Mm -hmm. And so we cover all kinds of subjects. Um, and... You know, I, I spend a lot of time here and in New York and India. I teach in India um, quite a bit as well. And, of course, in Australia. And I offer workshops wherever I am, learn to meditate courses um, and retreat experiences. Nice. Yeah, and that, that's going to sort of evolve and become more, more sophisticated as the demand increases. It's mm -hmm. early days for me in terms of, you know, I haven't had a website 
ever. <laughs> um, we've got one giant mind, but I've just put all my attention into one giant mind, and yeah. now I'm just going to start focusing on my my own personal teachings. Offerings, yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. That's mm. great to see that you started with the service, you know, of being able to provide for the bigger picture. Mm. And I feel completely aligned with that as, as human beings. I feel that we'll have so much more to offer if we work for the bigger picture first, Yeah, you know, and, and my path of working for mind body, the software company that offers scheduling software for all these different yoga studios. Yeah. And now in creating this podcast, it's like, Working for the bigger picture gives you the full big perspective and all the tools that you need to then have a lot to share from yourself. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I feel absolutely. you completely. Yeah. And I, and I think also it, it creates really exciting opportunity. You know, one giant mind, you know, people go, oh, wow, you know, you spent five years of your life working for a charity as a volunteer and, you know, you know wow. It's <laughs> so uh, benevolent of you, and I'm like, yeah, it, it, sure, but it's it's been such an extraordinary journey for me, mm. and it's opened up the world to me, and it's created opportunity for me to meet some of the most extraordinary people I know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, doing doing something like this, like your podcast, you know, where it's service. It, it, the benefits that uh, that it that it serves you, it, it's you you can't put a price on it. It's extraordinary, yeah. and so yes, it's been my pleasure to be of service. But I'm choiceless in that anyway, you know. And um, and actually, my fulfillment and the joy of my life comes from doing that. And it's not just because of the idea that I'm serving. It's actually what that service affords me, mm. which is you know, an extraordinary experience here on planet earth. (laughs) Yeah, That's the truth. Hmm. Um, so I wanted, uh, you touched a little bit on some of the people who you've met Mm -hmm. who've been of inspiration to you. Hmm. Um, can you give me three of your teachers or mentors or friends who you'd highly, you know, acclaim as being a part of your transformative process? Sure. Um, so I mentioned Tom Knowles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's an extraordinary master. He probably, you know, in India, he's even recognized as one of the greatest exponents of the Veda. Mm-hmm. You know, to hear him speak is, you know, uh, it's extraordinary. It's the best way to put it. So if you ever get a chance to, you know, to, to be in his presence and, uh, hear him speak, learn from him in any way, go on one of his retreats, take one of his recorded audio courses, you know, you really should. (laughs) Okay. That's great. Um, uh, Another great master whom I visit on a regular basis in India, Maha Ananda Siddha, Srila Sri Maha Ananda Siddha. He is the 19th Siddha of the Tamil Nadu Siddha tradition. A Siddha is... uh, loosely defined as the perfected human state the the siddhas of Tamil Nadu are um, recognized as the most sort of powerful and influential of the of the master lineages in India mm-hmm. they uh, are responsible for siddha alchemy mm-hmm. which Ayurveda derived from 
have which modern medicine derive from yeah uh the sitars are are recognized for their ability to have full dominion over the laws of nature yeah they're great great masters this particular master maha ananda sitha whom i go and sit at the feet at on a regular basis um is an extraordinary individual he doesn't eat or drink um or sleep and he's working tirelessly to build this incredible temple on a mountain called mount mahadeva which is a, a an ancient shiva temple in in south india mm. and uh, at one point upon instruction from shiva himself he he went there and claimed to the mountain no government permission nothing and through his own process started building you know got the support of some of the local builders and whatever and started building a temple by hand and through just donation and whatever he's building this thing that's just monumental and it's all by hand no not much heavy machinery and it's mind-boggling there's no architectural plans there's no geotech they're building it inside of a, on the side of a mountain it's mind-boggling absolutely mind-boggling um with just crude materials you know mm-hmm. concrete and and stone they're blowing the site one part of the mountain up and you know there's chiseling stones. chiseling stones and they're building it with concrete and stone and and every time I go there, you know, every three or four months, it's just grown and grown and grown. It's like, how is this possible? <laughs> anyway, it's, 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 it's quite an extraordinary thing. But what's more extraordinary is uh, being able to sit in his presence. He doesn't speak any English. And, um, you know, the only word that he ever says to me is blessings, blessings, blessings. And when I come, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to sit very closely to him at his feet quietly while you know government government officials come in or you know whoever just comes in and he has interviews with i don't know what they're talking about and then every now and then he just looks over and gives a little glance and you know it's it's a very different way of learning from a master through transference um so that's that's very empowering um and there are there are other great teachers in india that i also um visit Another one, Sri Shakti Amma, um, who's a, a profound embodiment of divinity. Um, and I, you know, the kinds of people that I that I hang out with on a day to day basis are entrepreneurs and business people. You know, I'm you know, I'm quite ver- well versed and learned in the area of consciousness and the present moment <laughs> um and i am now developing my my, my business skills and mm-hmm. my ability to kind of um bring to life ideas that i have about ways that i can bring knowledge um to the world without compromising what i am and how i teach but for it to be self-sustainable yeah and so i'm very fortunate to have you know some people that I um, have access to that are very successful business people that can, you know, that teach me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they advise me on the best way to go about it. Yeah, And as definitely. a result, I'm learning very, very quickly, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. I feel you yeah. completely. Yeah. <laughs> Our paths are very similar, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Although I have not yet been to India. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe you can come with me sometime. I would love to. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely love to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, the obvious thing that I have to say is my greatest teachers are my students mm. because, you know, without students, there is no teacher. 
the the function of teacher, the function of guru is, you know, dependent on one require you know with inquiry, and every inquiry that is made of me um, is what elevates me. Mm-hmm. The the inquiry is the thing that causes the spontaneous expounding of knowledge, and so every time I expound knowledge, I'm listening. I'm listening to what comes out of my mouth, and I go, "Hmm, isn't that interesting?" <laughs> <laughs> I and just so, said that. Yeah, that just came through yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm learning in every moment, and learning about people and human nature, and every moment is learning. Every moment, life is the teacher if you are able to see it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that would be my answer to that. Mm, that was a beautiful answer. Hmm. Um. I ask this question on every Yoga Revealed interview specifically because there's such a vast array of colors in how people describe yoga. Mm -hmm. So I must ask you how you define yoga. Well, yoga is the experience of the integrated self. The, The recognition that there is no separation within the paradigm of the appearance of separation. Mm. And yoga is the experience of detecting the oneness within the paradox uh, or the appearance of separation. Mm. So yoga is the experience of the self-integrated. That's my definition of it. Yeah. Mm, I like that. Integration. Yeah. Like integral yoga. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, And, and And yoga as the the system Mm -hmm. is a science or a system, a systematic approach by which one can have that that experience. I love that you say that a science and a system because Mm. I come from a science background of Mm. microbiology and that's why I love yoga because Mm. it's a system. It's Mm. an understanded sense of laws that Mm. abide and bring forth proofs. Yes. You know, if mm. you cannot have a result, therefore there is no equation. Mm. If there's no systematic way of getting to that result, mm. then what type of system are you working with? Yeah, it's so, not one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you must be talking about a religion. Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really enjoy um, the idea of, you know, really bringing yoga to a place where we can see it as an intellectual system of understanding that there's knowledge behind these methods. Yeah. I would say that it, it extends beyond the intellect as well, based on what we were talking about mm-hmm. before. It is, yoga is a system that we can utilize our intellect as a thorn to remove thorns, a sharp thing to remove sharp things that are obstructing us from having the experience of ourselves, mm-hmm. And so from that perspective, yes, it act, we absolutely can engage the intellect. However, as we progress down the path of acquiring yoga, acquiring union, one recognizes the role of the intellect and one moves into a state of um, surrendering the intellect and this is why we get all these other all of these different branches of yoga mm-hmm. you know like bhakti yoga gyan yoga nishkan karma yoga mm-hmm. karma yoga all of these different yogas that apply different approaches and principles using different tools mm-hmm. in order to stimulate different aspects of our psyche 
relative to our need and our personal condition mm -hmm. in order to kind of give rise to the experience. But I think ultimately all of these different types of yoga, when one is actually experiencing yoga, they're experiencing all these different types of yoga. They are using self-knowledge. They are using devotion. They are using service and uh, effortlessness in their approach in order to sustain the experience of yoga. Definitely. Mm. I wanted to touch on one last thing just because we we began to expand upon it when you came over my house for tea and it was something that came to my mind that I wanted to go a little deeper into and it was I feel as yogis and as people who are on this path of realizing the self and becoming a more clear conduit of light it's oftentimes that we get drawn away from human interaction and connection and being able to have intimate relationships because, you know, there's rules like brahmachari and practices in yoga that say that we should withhold our continence and, you know, bring forth kind of like this abstinence of sex and of, you know, sexual nature. Mm. Um, how do we hold space for those interactions yet at the same time still be on the same path of uh, a yogi as as a truly devout follower of the path of enlightenment <laughs> really great question and have we got another hour oh, shit. that's, that's <laughs> the mean, next one is, next so, time i see you yeah yeah but <laughs> i mean i'll give you a top line view a preview of coming attractions yes thank you <laughs> So as I as I started in this in in this session, we, I talked about the interpretation of the monastic yogic versus householder, mm. and a lot of these teachings are muddied mm. and confused. Some, some teachers are teaching some householder stuff, but they're still pertaining to certain or adhering to certain um, yogic practices like abstinence and all of this and we become really conflicted hang on you're telling me to live in the world and get enlightened and live a meaningful significant life and elevate society and all of that but you're telling me that I can't you know be expressive of my you know desire to be uh, intimately and yeah and so it, it, it creates splintering and there's a lot of this kind of confused splintering um, and, and this is something that you know Tom really brought home very clearly for me. These were some of the aspects that were really disparate in my own worldview that he sort of brought together in a very cohesive model. Um, and the reality is that if we're if we if we feel compelled to be in the world, if we have desires to be in the world, then that qualifies us as a householder. Simple as that. It, to to not be a householder you have to have such disdain for the world. You just mm. are not interested. A lot of people force themselves into that monastic state and they, they find themselves in a great state of discomfort as a result of hanging out in the ashram, um, you know, resisting all of these urges. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people that are monastic are, are there because they choose to be. Or at a certain period in time, there was a great need for that. Um, in this day and age, there is a great need for us to remain householders, get into the highest states of consciousness and be in the world living, breathing examples of this. Yes. And all the great masters from the Shankara Chat, well, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, 
you know, had wives and children and they lived in the world. They, they played very significant roles in contributing to society. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously we're not going to have enough time in this, in this particular um, episode to, to really dive into this. But um, there is a role for uh, the expression of our sexual energy there is a function for it that is about elevating our state of consciousness the the union between two individuals whether it's expressed sexually or not that that primordial energy that seeks the 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 rapture of embrace uh, the ecstasy of unity um, is a profound and powerful mechanistic function of nature and to deny it is to deny something very, very important that, that is within nature that is designed to be expressive that enables nature to be whole and complete. Mm-hmm. And we have been designed to have this experience. And it's only that we need to understand it and contextualize it. Quite often the statement, you know, abstain is a reactive statement in a time where there's an over-exercising of the expression of lower primal primal urges Mm -hmm. without an understanding of how to cultivate that urge to enliven these higher states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. However, you know, there, there are systems of knowledge and practices that deal with that. And we can absolutely be in the world, have beautiful, meaningful, fully engaged sexual relationships and be honoring our highest expression of ourself in every moment. And, you know, there are principles that stipulate, you know, don't be doing it every five minutes of the day. (laughs) (laughs) One needs to replenish one's, you know, vital systems. Um, however, there are ways in which we can be expressive of this energy that is absolutely elevating. Mm-hmm. And, and honoring thyself and thy other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's my response to that. You know, this, the abstinence and the retention of prim- primal energy, it's important for you if you feel like that's something you need to do mm-hmm. we need to self-govern and act in accordance with our own sensory perception and sensory experience we need to learn how to intuit what it is that we require in any given moment in order to maximize our capacity to continue expanding mm-hmm. there's no no one system ever says and this is a gross misinterpretation of this ancient knowledge is that these systems are rules. They are guiding principles for you to intuit and apply relative to where you're at in any given moment. Mm. And this is where this knowledge becomes very, very convoluted and people construct moods around their experience that they're not actually having. (laughs) (laughs) They're referred to as mood makers. They make the mood of their enlightenment, but really on the inside, they're they're in deep turmoil, but they're trying to be the idea of what 
the text is supposed to be saying. And when you're trying, you're not being. No, no. And it, it just creates an enormous strain in the self. It's not natural. And we really need to, and I, and I think that it's happening. We really need to move past the ideas of what enlightenment looks like and what the journey is and actually just get very real with ourselves about what we're experiencing and seek reconciliation based on the experience, not the idea. Mm, that's beautifully said. Mm. So I like to end these interviews off with a golden nugget or a ruby or a beautiful gem mm. that you can give to these listeners. Um, may they be yoga teachers or yoga practitioners, just something that you can leave them with, mm. perhaps that has been left with you. Mm. Liberation finds its gateway at fear. Face your fear as a religion. And through moving in the direction of what you fear most, you are moving toward the true self. Because the only thing that obstructs you from having the direct experience of self is fear. And fear is a non-reality that is a discord within the nervous system. And all it requires is that you put your soft, gentle, loving, compassionate, kind awareness on that fear and love through it and watch it dissolve. Make this your science, make this your, your passion and watch the self emerge with such rapid veracity and become this fully capable being that you know yourself to be because that's what we need. Mm. Beautifully said. <laughs> Thank you so much, Johnny. Jay Gurudev. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Gurudev. <laughs> I appreciate your knowledge, your wisdom, and your delivery with such happiness. <laughs> Seriously. It was an absolute joy having you on the Yoga Revealed podcast today. It was my joy and pleasure too, mate. Thank you. And congratulations on doing this thing. It's a wonderful thing. You're doing a great service. Thank you. <laughs> Blessings indeed. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into the Yoga Revealed podcast. You can learn more about Joni Pollard and his app, One Giant Mind, at www.thenumberonegiantmind.org. Make sure to check out the app in the iTunes market to begin your meditation practice today with the assistance of a knowledgeable guide like Joni. And special treat, Yoga Revealers. Be on the lookout for the Yoga Revealed book club launching this month. Yes, the month of June with special recommendations and reviews from real yogis just like you. We have a passion for expanding our knowledge and growing a conscious community with your participation. So make sure to sign up for our newsletter for exclusive behind-the-scenes footage and updates. Hint, hint, behind the scenes, we've got some absolutely incredible footage to show you and our YouTube is about to launch. So get ready, Yoga Revealers. Tap in, tune in, be live, stay bright. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.